Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Well, when we left you yesterday afternoon, we knew a little. And shortly after we finished, we knew a lot. We've got an entire schedule for the Southeastern Conference. Normally, we'd have that like a year and a half out, and we had that. It just turned out not to be the actual schedule. So we now have the actual schedule, all 10 weeks of conference play, conference-only games for the SEC. We'll spend a ton of time with that this afternoon. Glad to have you along. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Would love for you to be a part of the conversation. To do that, hit us up on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. Again, 601-879-4395. Bull, there's a lot of it in wireless, but C Spire thinks you deserve a plan that's actually what it says. Here's the real deal. The best plan for one or two lines, $45 each with auto pay and paperless billing. No bull, cspire.com. Richard Cross, Brian Haydad, and the return from the vacationing one, Michael Borky, after three days of heavy metal with uh, Will East, Michael Borky is back. What's up, man? Yeah, I've got some Bob Marley loaded up in here as well, you know, kind of feeling the mood, but... Just a chill Tuesday. Oh, yeah. I mean, we were at uh, Santa Rosa Beach, and it was phenomenal. Needed that, for sure. Just a relaxing... I couldn't do much anyway, because I'm still kind of... Uh, injured, so couldn't go fishing, couldn't play golf, um, couldn't really do much at the beach either. Like my dad and I tried to throw a football, but if I dropped it or he missed through it, it kind of I had to, you know, hobble down the beach in order to get it. So that wasn't that fun either. So uh, a lot of sun, a lot of beach time, handful of beers, perfect vacation. Not many people around. I guess kids are going back to school, and there's this thing called coronavirus going around. I don't know if you've heard of it. So. Uh, Awesome, but it's good to be back. How, how did the boot do in the sand? We, we talked about you on... Uh, hey, Dad, what day was that? Was it the first day that he was gone? I guess yeah, it was Thursday, Thursday. Where we talked in great detail about what it was going to look like, and we kind of took bets, Borky, on whether or not you were going to further injure yourself while away. So didn't wear the boot on the beach, just tried to make it through. I mean, it, it's been about three weeks now. And so, I mean, Gordon Hayward's about to only take four weeks off and play another basketball game on a grade three so yeah but he's slightly more athletic than you he is but like I'm able to walk around and drive and stuff now it's more of just like I can't do anything where I exert myself so I didn't wear it to the beach it just took me a while to get from uh boardwalk to spot on the beach I just had to it took me a little while I got some looks too because I wasn't wearing anything at that point and so people were just staring at me like, wait, what the heck's wrong with this kid? So, no, didn't wear it out there. Best meal you had while you were uh, down on 30A? Hmm. Um, did you go out to eat at all? We did. We went to Stinky's. Okay, Stinky's Fish Camp. Stinky's was good. Uh, and Red Bar. First time I ever went to Red Bar. And it, it had recently burned down, I guess, I was, I was gonna say, last you, year. Do you, do you know the story on, on Red Bar? 
Uh, only that it's a, pl- a really popular place that burned down last year and they've rebuilt it. Hey, Dad, have you ever been to Red Bar before? We had this discussion last week. No, I have not. Yeah, but I was thinking, that's right, we did. I just couldn't remember if maybe you had gone one time with your wife. So so the Red Bar is in Grayton Beach, and it was opened originally in the early 90s, like 92, 93, 94, somewhere along the way. And Grayton Beach at the time was just like the sleepiest of sleepy beach towns. I mean, if, if you want to go back to like the late 80s, you had Destin, and then like 20 miles down the road, there was Grayton Beach. And Seaside was just kind of starting to become a thing, but that was east of Grayton Beach. And then there was Panama City. And if you've been to that part of Florida in the last decade, I mean, you know it's just you, you, you don't know where one little village stops and the next one starts. But Grayton Beach has kind of been able to maintain its kind of small charm. It's more houses. It's not a bunch of condos. There are a few condos that are right there on the beach. But Red Bar about 18 months ago, burned. And I mean, I, I I am not going to swear to this, but I may have shed a tear when I saw the, the images because it's just this unbelievable spot. They used to only take cash. I think they've, they've gotten to the point where they finally will take a credit card, I think. It, they took ours. So, Okay, so they, they do take credit cards now. The menu is on a chalkboard, and yep. there are only five items on the chalkboard. It, so, it so threw you, us off. We thought it was like a coronavirus thing, and we asked the waitress. We were like, is this what you always do? She goes, yes, yeah, what we always do. Sorry. And yep. we're like, no, it's fine. I just uh, Everything was good. We all got different things, and all of it was good. Um, it felt like the place had been there forever. So I, well, I, that's, I, the, that's the really cool thing is they rebuilt it exactly the way it was. I mean, I mean just stuff everywhere. And the, the little guy loved everywhere. it. Uh, he's not a big fan of loud noises yet, and the place was, you know, a lot of people around, social distance to a point, uh, but loud music and stuff going on. But there was just so much stuff for him to see. It, it was the easiest dinner we've had with him at the loudest, most unique place we've ever been just because all the, the stuff on the walls. But that was my favorite meal down there. We went out for lunch or dinner five or six times, and that was by far the best food and the coolest atmosphere we, we saw when we were down there. Yeah, there you go. Well, I'm glad you hit it, and and hopefully, hey, Dad will at some point. His wife doesn't like seafood, and so that's a barrier to him going to Red Bar. But at some time, he's gonna. She eats chicken though, doesn't she? Yeah. They have the most unbelievable panade chicken with some lemon caper on it and mashed potatoes and a side salad. Maybe you can sell that. If ever maybe. get back down there, yeah, yeah, yeah just just maybe. A cool area um, too, like you said. It felt it almost felt like you were in a New Orleans neighborhood. Like shotgun style homes everywhere in this little section. Yeah. It was awesome. Did you enjoy yeah. a uh Grayton Brewing Company beer? Uh not while we were down there, but I've had it though and it's really good. That's uh run by a former or not a I shouldn't say an Ole Miss Rebel. He didn't play there, but he went to Ole Miss, a friend of mine. Really good beer. Really? Who's that? His name is Jamie Price. Not the pitcher. Not the pitcher. Not the pitcher. <laughs> I think I he farms in Arkansas. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, kind of burying the lead this afternoon. Obviously, the uh, schedule came out last night. They had the hour-long special on SEC Network where they revealed week by week the uh, the schedule for the 2020 season. We talked yesterday about the fact that the opening week is Alabama at Missouri, Georgia at Arkansas, Kentucky at Auburn, Mississippi State at LSU, 
Florida at Ole Miss, Tennessee at South Carolina, Vanderbilt at Texas A&M. Hey, Dad, you know, you and I were kicking around game times yesterday. <clears throat> Excuse me. I, and we're trying to figure out, okay, d- does LSU get that night game to start the season? And mm-hmm. your initial reaction is, yeah, of course they do. And I was talking to, um, to a buddy last night, and he's like, CBS has got to try to grab people right out of the gate. You know, we're, we're later into the season – and so are they going to take Kentucky at Auburn? Auburn's a great brand. Kentucky is not. Or are they going to take the reigning national champions, LSU? I wouldn't be surprised at all. And, and the more I thought about it, the more that made sense. You're not going to take Alabama. I mean, yes, Alabama's always, always a draw, but that's not going to be a game. And so the storyline of Mike Leach in the SEC going to Baton Rouge wouldn't be surprised at all if that Mississippi State LSU game ends up as the two thirty CBS game right out of the gate. Possible, very possible. I would think. You know, I mean, like you said, LSU huge draw, defending national champions. Mike Leach is a draw too for college football fans. Absolutely, so there's, there's, there would be some interest there. Yeah, I mean, it could, it could very easily happen. Predicted opening day start times: Kentucky Auburn at eleven. Mississippi State LSU two thirty, no, no, no. and Alabama Missouri and Ole Miss Florida will be the two night games. Auburn Kentucky is too good a game to not be a night. First off, everything's going to be it's all in one day, so you got you got a couple more slots to fill there. Oh right, but uh, the, the games that people will I, care I about. think I think a well, and M and Vanderbilt is your eleven a.m. game for Aren't sure. Are they trying to emphasize that game a little bit more though? Put, what emphasis can you put on Vanderbilt? Uh, not the Vanderbilt game, uh, the 11 a.m. game. That oh, they... okay, I see what you're saying. But yeah, I, yes, I think Auburn-Kentucky years... will be a, a later game. You know, we, we've evolved from that used to be the, the kind of low-level Big Ten game. So you had the low-level Big Ten game that kicked off at 11 o'clock on ESPN, and usually it was Beth Moens who was the announcer. And then 20 minutes later or 40 minutes later, well, 11.30 – you had the Jefferson Pilot SEC game, which was the lower-tier game there as well. But, yeah, I mean, you, you've seen um, you, you've seen more emphasis on putting a good game on ABC at 11 and putting a good game on ESPN at 11 as well. I was told, and I'm not sure exactly how this is going to work logistically, that SEC Network is going to have three games – on the SEC Network every Saturday. I I don't know how you pull that off when you get into week five and you've only got five games total, or you get to week seven and you've only got four games total. You're going to put three games on the SEC Network that day? That seems hard to wrap my mind around that. But at least going in, I think that's the plan. Um, Could you see Florida Ole Miss as the Saturday night SEC Network game? You guys probably said it yesterday. I tried to listen as much as I could, but you guys probably said it yesterday that Mississippi State LSU is most intriguing game, and Ole Miss Florida, I think, is second most intriguing game. So We did say that. Yeah. I think the best game is Kentucky at Auburn, but I think those other two are pretty darn interesting. Sports Talk Mississippi, just getting started with you. Deuce McAllister is going to join us in a little while. So will David DeLucci. Right now we'll take a timeout. 
Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad. Let's go to the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau, to chat with Deuce McAllister, color analyst on the Saints radio network, former New Orleans Saint running back, played his college ball at Ole Miss. You know Deuce. He doesn't even need an introduction, but uh, introducing him nonetheless. Deuce, uh, moving closer and closer to the start of the season, does it feel like the momentum is positive, or are folks in the NFL just treading water? I think you're probably in between of both of those statements. I think you're treading water in some sense because injuries are starting to pile up for a few teams. Uh, and then the actual playing the games, you know, whether or not you can have fans, I think there is, um, you know, you have a few teams that have already made that decision and some of those decisions are coming down, you know, really it's city by city or state by state in some instances. So, um, they're progressing, they're progressing forward, but I think you start to see, you're starting to see some of the other things that affect you in football starting to take place. In terms of getting ready for the season, how different has this year been? There, there were no mini camps, no OTAs. You just kind of roll right into the workout. There was a ramp up period to being able to practice, but now that they're in pads, does it look like a normal practice? Looks like a normal practice from the sense that you know they're doing things that they normally would have been doing anyway, and you know from from that stance or sense, you would have been have already played a couple of preseason games as well, and so we know there won't be any of that. So you know for guys um, that's really trying to make this squad, particularly for the New Orleans Saints, uh, it, it, it has to be your best foot forward and you know you can't have any mental mistakes you can't have you can't allow the little things that normally you may be able to make up for in the games to affect you in practice and so you know you say hey look i play one play and then i go on to the next one that's truly the mindset that you have to have just because the only evaluation will be via you know the practice tape how much reaction have you gotten to uh, a, a little innocent tweet that uh, that went out? After watching Stretch and Walk Through, I say the Saints are going to the Super Bowl. Have a good day. Have a good day. I mean, hey, you know, th- that's all I needed to see, Richard. I needed to just see them have that walk through and then go through their stretching, uh, a, a couple, a couple jumping jacks, a couple calisthenics, and and it's over. You know, and I said, yep, they're going. They're going. Uh, gotten some ribbing, some pretty good, but uh, uh, you know, I, I would be highly surprised if this team is not at least in the playoff conversation. And you know, once you get into the playoffs, anything can really happen. And so, we hope that this is the year that they can finally uh, erase some of those demons that have haunted them the last couple of years. You said at least in the playoffs. I mean, that that sounds pretty conservative. But I'm curious: is that is that an NFL player mindset, or is that a coach mindset, or are you seeing something? I mean, the players say, look, let's just get to the playoffs, and then we'll see what happens, or when you know there's a special team, is just getting there not enough? Well, to be honest, just getting to the playoffs is really not enough with, for, for this squad, and it hadn't been enough really the last two years with the types of talent that you have. So I think just to get there – then for them, what you really want to see is, okay, where are we health-wise? What, what is our path to the Super Bowl? You know, what are some of the things that maybe you didn't control early on or you may have set it up perfectly, uh, go back to the Rams season, you know, where you lose in the NFC Championship game. 
it may have been set up perfectly, and so you didn't get the luck or the call that you needed. So um, you're going to need all of those things to kind of fall your way. It's never easy to get to the Super Bowl, even though you may be the more talented team. Yeah. Uh, it may have been injuries that, that, you know, at the wrong time that hindered you from advancing. And so uh, you need a little luck. I, I will admit that. You have to play well. You have to be healthy. And I think that's where – we don't know where they will be, you know, whether they have already peaked as far as uh, defensively, offensively, or even in special teams, have they already peaked? You know, do they have an abundant amount of injuries at certain positions or key positions? And that may hinder them from advancing like they want to. So uh, the goal is always, yes, you want to get to the Super Bowl. But, okay, let's, let's handle something that realistically you can't do. That's winning your division and going and qualifying for the playoffs. Once you've done that, then you kind of assess everything else. Deuce McAllister on your radio on the Farm Bureau phone line. Deuce, I don't know how long we've been having these conversations, three, four years, and for at least that long I've been asking you, you know, how much longer can Drew go? What, what about Drew Brees? And you, it's always been a, well, let's get through this year. I think he can go a little bit longer I mean, he's got the TV deal that's signed, and it's it's waiting out there. Is there any question in your mind or anyone's mind that this is it for Drew Brees, or is there some crazy scenario where he goes, yeah, this one and, and maybe one more? And one more. I think, you know, I think you can probably cap it at two. <laughs> I feel comfortable in saying <laughs> that this saying year that. just because – yeah, I feel comfortable in saying, uh, you know, this year and possibly next year just really depends on how this year finishes and how he feels like he is playing, you know, if he's still in an elite level or, you know, it's really fell off considerably, then, you know, I don't think that he would be ashamed and say, hey, look, you know, I, I, I'm hanging him up, you know, and so I, I would not be surprised uh, one way or the other if he decides I, I want to give it one more shot. We were successful. It was uh, maybe no fault of my own, or I don't want to put myself through that heartbreak again. You know, we just we weren't we aren't good enough, and I want to just move forward. And so, you know, I can see all three scenarios really playing out for him. Even you know him being a supreme competitor that he is, but I feel comfortable in saying two years. Who's the most important offensive player for the Saints? And, and maybe I should say not named Drew Brees. Most important offensive player for the Saints, I'm probably going to say left tackle Toronto Armstead. And and, and the reason I say that is, obviously, he's an elite player. I think he's probably top three at his position. Uh, The Saints got the news today that Andres Teep, who they just signed to an extension this offseason, has a broken left thumb. So um, that's not a good position to be in uh, for them or nor uh, Andres. But I think what they have to do offensively when Teron goes down or when he has gotten hurt um, the last couple of years, it's you can really tell it. You can tell it from formations. You can tell it from offensive plays. And that's probably the one position you can't hide as much. And, you know, there's not a lot elite left tackles in the NFL. So I think he is the one player that you can't lose for an extended amount of time outside of Drew Brees um, where everyone else you can kind of maybe disguise or scheme enough to still be successful. Deuce, we know this is going to be a season that looks unlike any that we've seen before. There weren't that many guys that opted out this season. There were some, and, and I feel like those decisions largely have kind of been respected by teammates. 
But once the guys got there and, and have started practice and have started camp, are they going about things normally or does it look different in a COVID world? It looks different in the COVID world. I mean, uh, Richard, for, for, for us, even to be able to cover and see, they can only have so many reporters at practice. And for myself, um, even though you consider yourself a part of the extended staff of, of, of that team, we even have to get tested. You know, and um, I've only been to a couple of practices that have been open to the public, but we had to start getting tested for COVID um, almost a week or four days before you can even go to practice. And then the players – they still daily get tested, and so I think that's just different. I mean, there's a there's a there's a tent, there's a trailer that's set up, and you know, you go in, you you, you basically get tested. And so, what you can do outside of the building, even though they have um, a hotel and a premises, kind of a bubble rented for those guys, um, you still have to be cautious. And, and, and just because you come in and and, and you're practicing, you're, you're getting ready for a game. When you leave, you still have to be cautious of what, what you're doing outside of the building, and that's going to be something that's going to be interesting to watch. You know, does a team have a rash of players that, um, you know, that test positive? You know, how does the NFL handle that? How does that team handle that? You know, and how will that affect you from a game planning uh, standpoint? So um, a lot more has been put on coaches as well as staff uh, and, 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 and Mickey and his staff just because of some of the unknown stuff they can't control. Yeah. It's certainly a strange time, but it does feel like we're going to get football. Are, are you at this point, and, and only 30 seconds or so left, are you at this point confident that when we get to the what late part of September, we are playing football all across the NFL? No, I am confident that we will uh, play football all across the NFL this year, even in September or whenever the original kickoff is. Or uh, I would not be surprised if we do have some delay or stoppage of play as well just because there are some outbreaks. I mean, uh, flare-ups, whatever you want to call them. I would not be one bit surprised if you do have a stoppage, but I do think that they are going to play football. Well, hopefully you are right, and we will all rejoice if that is the case. Deuce, always uh, enjoy our conversations. Thanks for your time this afternoon. All right, no problem. Thank you for having me. Deuce McAllister on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. What do you say we dive into this SEC schedule next on Sports Talk Mississippi? So we got the new football schedule, and with that comes the plans that schools have for getting tickets distributed to whoever it is that can go to their game, right? Whatever that stadium capacity is, 20%, 25%, 50%, whatever it is. And I guess we probably should have seen this coming. My question is, are we going to see it everywhere, or are there certain places that can get away with doing what Alabama is doing? Prior to the pandemic, you wanted to buy season tickets at Alabama. A lower bowl season ticket, single single ticket, was $525. And that did not include your donation for the seat license. So if you were going to buy four tickets, it would cost you $2,100, and then you'd probably have, you know, four or $500 a seat. So, you know... Four tickets, lower level, if your priority lets you buy about $5,000. If you want to sit in the upper deck, on the west side, 
or the third level on the east side, you could buy a season ticket for $460 plus the donation. If you wanted to sit in the north or south or east side upper deck, so way up there at the top, you, you've been to Bryant-Denny. You know how high those upper decks are in the end zones and on the east side. You, you could have done that for $395. And then their premium tickets were 535 That's, you know, the club stuff. Alabama has come out with a package A option and a package B option for its season ticket holders for this abbreviated season. By the way, Craig Stevenson is the one that uh, that tweeted these images. Package A includes two games, Georgia and Texas A&M. Two games. The Tier 1 seating, which is that lower bowl that we were talking about, where you could have bought a ticket for $525 for all seven home games, it will now cost you $455 for Georgia and Texas A&M. And then the other tier is Mississippi State, Kentucky, and Auburn. You want those three, you can get them for $490. So now a lower bowl season ticket will cost you almost $1,000 for five home games Plus, when you combine the two, you got to pay another $420 per seat in terms of contribution. Fair or foul, boys? Considering the product and the demand, that's absolutely fair. Yeah, I, not, not surprising. So $1,000 for a season ticket to sit down low and another 500 so it's going to cost you instead of you know $4500 for a family of 4 in the lower bowl for 7 games it's going to cost you between 6 and 7000 for 5 games to sit in the lower bowl but you'll be one of only what a quarter of the people inside the stadium as to what normally would have been there so there's a premium i suppose yeah 25000 people or so yeah some um, i i'm really I'm really curious. I mean, the individual game ticket price for Georgia and Texas A&M ranges between $200 and $265 a ticket. The individual game ticket price for Mississippi State, Kentucky, and Auburn ranges between $195 and $260. Do any of those find their way on the secondary market? Like, if you're not one of these Alabama boosters that gets access to to the opportunity to buy these tickets, could you go to a game? Do you think they'll find their way onto StubHub or whatever? So, I don't... I, I, there could be a way. I'm not saying that there isn't, but, I mean, aren't they going all mobile? How do you get those tickets? Yeah, I mean, it's going to be all digital. Yeah, there's not I mean, going to be I'm scalpers sure sitting outside. I, I, I don't I'm know sure... Secondary market, yes. Traditional... Scalper holding up two fingers outside the stadium or holding up a need ticket sign? Maybe not. Yeah. Is this going to happen at Ole Miss and Mississippi State? Well, there's going to they're going to divvy everything up and try to. Yeah, I think so. You think from a pricing standpoint, they'll raise the price points to try and lessen the loss a little bit? Who, who are Ole Miss's? Uh, I know the Egg Bowl is in, in Oxford. Who are the, the other? I guess Florida, Florida, Alabama, um, Auburn, South Carolina. So Florida, State. pretty good home schedule. I would do it that way. I would do Alabama, Auburn is one tier, and then Florida, South Carolina, Mississippi State is the other tier for Ole Miss. For State, I would do 
State really doesn't have a very attractive home schedule, obviously. Um, Arkansas, A&M, Vanderbilt, Auburn, Auburn Missouri. Missouri. That's an ugly home schedule. Uh, but I would put Auburn and A&M in, in one tier and the other three in the other. Yeah. David on the uh, C Spire text line, David in Socher says, relying on big dogs to get them through the year. Got to do it. What you got to do. Yeah. 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 Uh, how also, about this? Oh, go know, ahead. I don't know if you... But another thing in that release from Alabama is no tailgating on campus at all. Oh, really? Yeah. How should they do that? Because Alabama tailgates kind of the same way you see in the Grove, kind of. And And they have the quad. Yeah, and it's it's very structured, and all the tents look the same, and you have to be a donor and stuff to get certain spots or whatever. But how should Ole Miss do it? Because there's no way they can just say, y'all come on now and pack the Grove and you tailgate and watch the game on your TV because you can't get inside. So how do you do it? They're going to do what Alabama did and say there's no tailgating. Or or could you say if you have a ticket, that gives you access to campus. And whatever you do on campus is up to you. But you have to have a ticket to get into one of the entry points because they have security there anyway, right? Because of on-campus parking. So you keep the security there and you have to show your ticket in order to get on campus, and then from there you can still have 25% of your fans tailgating in the Grove at an appropriate distance from each other. It's not a terrible idea. And they, you know, a few years ago, Ole Miss went to the deal where you, there's no, there is no entry point where you can pull onto campus proper if you don't have a parking pass. So they were trying to reduce the number. You know, there was no free parking anywhere on campus anymore. They, they went to that several years ago. And they were trying to reduce the number of vehicles that were on campus on game day. And so, unless you had a parking pass, you could not come onto campus from Jackson Avenue up Fraternity Row. You couldn't come up Sorority Row from, from Jackson Avenue or up Rebel Drive or onto campus from you know Highway 6 from uh, Old Taylor Road or Chucky Mullins Drive or, or any of those access points. Um so Dave says, how can you deny access to campus? Is it a public facility or is it not? Or he said it's a public facility, is it not? It, it is, but they have the ability to change those things on game day for special events. Yeah. I, I mean, yes, Ole Miss is a public campus, but when you have a presidential debate, the Secret Service takes over. Right. Weren't they there for like a month or something like that ahead of time? Yeah. It, it was a while out. Uh, Jeff says, one of the best ideas for Michael in a couple of weeks. Hey, all right. It was right. a good one. Absolutely. Um, uh, William in Belmont says, remember tailgating is a uh, nice protest of the opposing <laughs> team. Jason says, you cannot do tailgating. The governor and Dr. Dobbs would crush them if it ventured out of hand. Jerry and Tupelo says, what about tickets for visiting fans? Yeah, we told you, uh, I think it was last week. Yeah. That at least for Ole Miss, and I have to assume that the number is going to be comparable for other schools as well, but the number for Ole Miss is 500. Let's see if I can find out. The, the allotment for visiting teams is 500. So Florida will get 500 tickets. Alabama will get 500 tickets. South Carolina will get 500 tickets, and so on. Uh, and that's it. So the, the, the opposing school then figures out how to divvy those up. The majority of those will be for... Uh, you know, coaches' wives and families for player families. You know, if you wanted to bring a pep band, I guess technically you could could do that and and use part of those tickets as well. Um, here's what we don't know, or, or at least we don't know yet. 
on the ceasefire text line. What about students? My guess is that the student section will be treated the way the rest of the stadium is treated. Is that whatever your student ticket allotment normally is, it will probably be cut by 75%. You'll have 25% capacity in the student section. Tell you one thing I would do to make it look a little more full, I would spread the band out over like four sections. Yep. Like every tuba player gets his own row with six seats in between and like staggered. Yeah, just to make it look bigger and look like there's more there. I, I don't know if that makes sense or not. Yeah, whatever. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll see how this all shakes out. The Kansas City Chiefs, we talked about this yesterday, hey, Dad. 22% capacity at Arrowhead. And they are going to allow tailgating directly behind your vehicle where it's parked in its parking spot. And you can only tailgate with people who are in your seating pod, which is how it was described. I, I, I don't know what that means. I don't know if that's the people that you like are going to the game with or people within a certain section or, or how they're actually describing that. So, it's going to look a whole lot different. Sports Talk Mississippi. We still got plenty of time to go through this schedule. I'm not trying to push it off, but we got time. More coming up. We'll be right back. guy who has been successful just about everywhere he's been right he was uh, successful in the American Conference inherited an absolute dumpster fire at Baylor and just a couple of years in had them 11 and 2 wasn't it 11 and 2 last year yeah he can just coach ball period and now he's in the NFL, and he's kind of doing things a little bit different. Really cool story at ESPN.com. Red flags went up among media covering Carolina when defensive tackle Kawan Short and running back Mike Davis weren't in attendance for the start of the first practice in pads. But there was a simple explanation. Matt Rule insisted that every coach, staff member, and player with children take time to be with their kids for their first day of school. He said even if it's virtual, they should have breakfast with them and help them get on the computer, drive them to school, whatever. A lot of times people say they believe in stuff, but they really don't. I believe very much in family, and being a father is the most important thing I am, and our players are. Said on Thursday, when his kids start, he's going to take them to the bus stop instead of just going straight to the facility. And now that he's the boss, he gets to make this call. He said, that's something I've never really had a chance to do as a coach with this ramp-up schedule and not having to be away for camp. I'm going to take five minutes and spend that time. I expect all my coaches to do it as well. Isn't that really cool? Yeah. Turns out um, this got more attention than Matt Rule expected because the team was streaming their practice online. He said, I didn't know the uh, cameras... uh, Oh, that's, that's talking about a different part of the story. Sorry. 
Doesn't Bruce Arians have a, a similar thing with his assistants where if, if they're at the facility past a certain hour, he makes them go home? I think it's Bruce Arians that has a similar policy where he basically forces his assistants to go be with their families if they're at the facility for too long. But I love that kind of stuff. And I hope they give him enough time up there because the roster he inherited is not a very good one. And it's in a division with a bunch of very good ones. I mean, even the Falcons, everybody jokes about the Falcons, but that offense now has every starter a former first-rounder. I mean, it is a team that will be able to score a lot of points. Obviously, Tampa will be able to do the same thing. In New Orleans, we just talked to Deuce. Uh, He thinks they're going to the Super Bowl. Uh, There's a good chance that the Panthers are very bad in year one, and so I hope he gets enough time because I feel like a very similar situation can happen there uh, like what you had in Baylor. He's a good coach and has a really good staff. He just doesn't have the personnel to get it done right now. Doesn't his track record of building slowly but doing it, I say slowly, in terms of it's usually a a slow start year one because they're putting in a system and creating a culture and all those things, and then it starts getting better quickly. Doesn't that give him a little leeway, even though it is making the move from college to the NFL? I mean, it feels like this was a long-term commitment from from the Panthers. It, It should be. I think it is, too. I mean, they're willing to be patient up there. The fan base apparently does not like the way they handled Cam Newton at all. And seeing him go to New England to probably be the day one starter in New England is not sitting well with those people, but that's not a Matt Rule problem. That, that's a, an ownership and general manager problem. Uh, they, If there's any rationality whatsoever in local media and, and fans in Carolina, it's this is going to take a while, especially when you look around the division. Yeah. Ceasefire text line 601-879-4395. Somebody says, have the band sit six feet apart on the next row, shift them three feet left and right so they are like the pegs on the Plinko board from the Price is Right. Then during a timeout, you could chunk a beach ball down from the top row and see where it lands. That's from Graham in Jacinto. Mike in Oxford says, to make the stadium look more full, I'm taking a cardboard Haydad to sit next to me and dressing him in the color of the week. (laughs) <laughs> that's kind of I'll a fantastic be, idea actually i'll be in starkville and oxford uh, for all these games yeah somebody says they think the fair thing to do in terms of students would be to give seniors priority for the games you got to make yeah, sure you give tickets to the ones that want to go yeah, yeah. That, that's that's the main priority is if you if you get these tickets you're going unless you know unless you and you an better stay too yeah I mean, if if you only have two thousand or twenty five hundred students spread out in the student section when they were usually getting ten thousand, and the same percentage leave early that have left early when there were ten thousand, you have like negative seven students there at the start of the third quarter. Kid walks out, doors are locked. What happened? Did you miss the lock the vault announcement we had at the beginning? Mm. It was literal this year. Yeah. Uh, Mike says about those Bama ticket prices, the original prices did not include donations where the new prices do. Uh, there was a slash on that. It looked like in addition to the cost of the ticket, there was a, uh, a donation that went with it as well, or at least what I was looking at had it that way. And by the way, Alabama went with 20% capacity in Bryant-Denny. So you're talking about 102,000 seats, just a shade over 20,000 people at Bryant-Denny. Starting in September. Sports Talk Mississippi. We will be right back. Hour number two is next. I 
Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm on a Tuesday afternoon. Glad to have you along. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad. Ceasefire text line is open, 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. Be honest, you know your business deserves better, so get better with a Ceasefire business internet and phone bundle backed by real support. See how Ceasefire can power your success today at cspire.com slash business. Um, some news coming from Notre Dame. Do you remember last week when we talked about every student at Notre Dame was tested before coming back to school and there was a 99.7% negative rate? And everybody just kind of oohed and odd over how impressive that was. 12,000 students tested 99.7% of them tested negative for COVID-19. Well, a little bit different story after a week on campus. Um, 80 students out of 400 and change that were tested were positive. Father John Jenkins addressed the entire student body, and Notre Dame is going to online instruction, virtual instruction, for at least two weeks, and he says if the case numbers don't go down, they will send everyone home just like they did in the spring. 80 out of 418 tested positive a week after reopening. Yeah, that percent positive rate is not good, but, I mean, it's a a school of what? You said 12,000? Yep. Shutting things down for 80 tests or 80 positives? Well, 80 out of 418, I mean, that's a 20% right. positive rate. But why isn't everybody else being tested? And is nobody showing symptoms? Were they able to trace this outbreak back to a party where there was a limited number they of were. people there? They, so They traced it back to two parties from what I read. Right. Okay. So you can figure out who was there and who wasn't. And so, I don't know. I mean, I guess it's the nature of the beast, right? If there's some kind of small outbreak, you have to shut things down. But that just seems... <sighs> two Overly schools re- in two days have shut it down yeah. and, and gone to online only. North Carolina yesterday, Notre Dame today. And looking at it from a football perspective, I know there's pushback on stuff like this because if you keep the football players on campus when everybody else is sent home, you're kind of admitting that they're special. But they spent all summer on campus when nobody else was there. In a way, campus is going to online only. Isn't that... Not saving football because, of course, there are so many variables when it comes to whether or not the season can be played effectively. But if North Carolina is going to online-only learning, where your football team is not inundated with 20,000 students and you have no idea what they're doing, it's more likely that they're not going to get it, right? I know you have to admit some things or at least let people draw a line from point A to point B, and it's that your football team is special because they generate revenue, and so we have to do different things with them. But if it if you're talking about it just from playing a football season or not, and one thing that would stop a football season is an outbreak within your team, limiting their contact with other students, doesn't that make it more likely that football is going to happen? Send them all home, keep the football players on uh, on campus, and there you go. I mean, what's wrong with that? Aside from the fact that you have to admit that the football players are not just regular old students, that's how you can save a season. You've already gotten your tuition payments from the students. They've already shown up. Yeah, they're going to go if they have we to go online. We talked about this yesterday. 
Why is it we have so much trouble admitting that they're not regular students? I don't get it, because they already are treated differently. Like, forget name, image, and likeness and all that for a second, but we talk about the benefits of a scholarship all the time. Yeah. Students on academic scholarship do not come anywhere close to getting what the athletes get. They're treated special. They're treated differently. They get a lot of things, including a check, just a check for a few thousand dollars to start every year. Cost of attendance is what they call it. Just hand it to them. Here's a few thousand bucks, five, four, five, six thousand dollars, just because. They already are treated differently. So why do, why are people afraid to admit it? I don't know. They're the revenue generators. Everybody already knows that. Because they're trying to protect the golden goose. That's the answer. They don't want to. They don't want to start paying out. Let's look at this football schedule. It gets started on September 26th, presumably. Ole Miss hosting Florida, Mississippi State going to LSU. Hey, Dad, we guessed on week two games yesterday. I was right, and you were close. You, you were on the right track. You just didn't get it exactly right. Right. You but had Mississippi State game. hosting Vanderbilt in week two. Instead, they got Arkansas in week two. So same, same idea, different team. And Ole Miss goes to Kentucky in week two. Which I think we, we, we nailed that one, right? We, but we yep. picked that. Yep, yeah. got that one 100% right. Week three, Ole Miss hosts Alabama. In week three, Mississippi State travels to Kentucky. Week four, Ole Miss goes to Arkansas. Week four, Mississippi State has Texas A&M at home. All right, so let's press pause there for a second. Mississippi State, four weeks in. Two and two, best case scenario? Oh, best case scenario... Don't tell me four and O's best case scenario. No, 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 not four and O, but three and one would be best case scenario to find a way to beat Texas A and M. Yeah, I think two and two is best case scenario after four weeks. Well, you go ahead with yourself then. What's likely? Is two two and two likely? Uh, I mean, Kentucky's good. They could be one and three, but they could be two and two. Yeah. I mean, if I had to put percentages on it, I'd probably put one and three uh, a little higher than two and two. They will be favored in one of those four games for whatever that's worth to you. Arkansas. Yeah, they, they, yeah. yeah unless something, unless they just beat up on Kentucky. And who does A&M have? Let's say A&M loses to Alabama and Florida by convincing margins and State is convincing in beating Arkansas and Kentucky. State could be favored at home against A&M. There's a lot of ifs in there, obviously. Yeah, bunch. Ole Miss opens with Florida, gets Kentucky, then hosts Alabama, then gets Arkansas. Feel like they win against Arkansas. Same logic that Haydad was using a second ago with with Kentucky. Man, Kentucky's pretty good. Is it impossible to wrap your mind around the idea that Ole Miss could go to Lexington and could pull one off in week two? I mean, maybe not likely, but not impossible. So two and two is is out there. I think that's probably best case. 
But like with Mississippi State, one and three may be the most likely start to the year for Ole Miss. Yeah, they will also be favored in just one of those first four. Yeah. Although in those um, uh, Colin Wilson, we were looking at yesterday from Action Network and his projections, they weren't actual lines; they were projected lines. He had Kentucky, Ole Miss at Pickham. Hmm. Which I figured I, they'd be a touchdown or so dog, but I mean, project. I feel so bad for odds makers right now projecting. Any kind of spread with the offseason that everybody has had has got to be so difficult. Yeah. I'm still waiting on my reply from Colin Wilson on my Egg Bowl bet with him, but he hasn't gotten back with me yet. Mississippi State has an open date in Week 5. Ole Miss has Auburn in Week 5. By the way, Ole Miss does not play back-to-back home games or back-to-back road games for the entire year. It's Florida at home, at Kentucky, Bama at home, at Arkansas, Auburn at home at Vandy, open date, South Carolina at home at Texas A&M, Mississippi State at home on Saturday, November 28th, and then they go to LSU. So what we told you was going to happen is what happened. Mississippi State and Ole Miss stays on the same week that it is normally played, but it will not be played on Thanksgiving night. It will be played on Saturday the 28th, and... Then we'll close out with LSU. Closing stretch for Mississippi State after their four to uh, to start the year. Bulldogs will have back-to-back home games after going to Tuscaloosa. So open date, road trip to Alabama, back-to-back home games against Vanderbilt and Auburn, back-to-back road games against Georgia and Ole Miss, and then the Bulldogs will finish out at home against Missouri. I had some fun with that closing two games for Ole Miss on Twitter yesterday. How so? You troll. I, <laughs> I said... Did you do like real rivalry stuff thing? I did. did exactly yeah. that. Oh, oh my gosh. And the mentions were... They were so much fun. I propped my feet up. I mean, I was just back from vacation too and I just let the notifications roll in where people actually thought that I think that Ole Miss LSU was the real rivalry. Love it. <laughs> Yes, a bit of a troll. Oh, right, a lot look, of it. Let's look at the uh, the schedules for the Rebels and the Dogs and circle the ones that are most interesting and uh, just kind of have some more thoughts on it. We'll continue Sports Talk Mississippi. Also, David DeLucci will join us in just a little bit. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Thanks for being with us on this Tuesday afternoon. I feel like over the next few days, certainly over the next couple of weeks, we'll get the, the plans for everybody in terms of what the stadiums are going to look like. In Louisiana, they don't know yet. Governor John Bell Edwards said today he still doesn't have answers to what game day will look like at Tiger Stadium. said he has not yet seen a proposal from any Louisiana school, but did say, I think you're going to have an answer sooner than later. I expect that sometime this week we're going to find out when LSU needs to have a plan in place in order to be able to execute that game on the 26th. I just don't have that information today. So in Louisiana, it sounds like um, LSU's got to give its plan to the governor and then he's got to sign off on it. We do know that conversations have been 
happening between athletics officials at Ole Miss and Mississippi State and the governor's <coughs> office. Yeah. Um, even a couple of weeks ago. But all of that was kind of conjecture at, uh, at that point. You, I mean, with the Saints going fanless in week one, there's no possible way that Mississippi State will play in front of a crowd in Baton Rouge, is there? Well, it'll be a week later? I think two. Yeah, I think that's right. yeah. Two weeks later? Yeah. I, I mean, if, if they're making that call for the pro team, are you really going to let the college team have fans but not the pro team? In fairness, if I'm if I'm going to try to try to figure that one out for you, maybe it's a bigger <laughs> it's a bigger outdoor stadium. As opposed I was going to say, one of them indoors, indoor one's stadium. outdoors. I mean, that's 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 that that could play a, a role in it. Hmm. I, I honestly didn't think of that, but that's how much of a difference would you think that would make? Some, some. I mean, it, it, it's a fair fair point. Tennessee Athletic Director Phil Fulmer just announced in a press conference with the governor of Tennessee, Bill Lee, that he anticipates the Vols will have 25% seating capacity this fall in Neyland Stadium. That's what what you're getting everywhere. 20 to 25%. That's how you do the social distancing in the stadium. Kansas City Chiefs yesterday, 22%. Alabama today, 20%. Tennessee, 25%. That's going to be one out of four. Basically. Um Ceasefire text lines open, 601-879-4395. Hey Dad, what jumps out for you on Mississippi State schedule? Hey Dad, I'll ask you the same or uh, Borky, I'll ask you the exact same thing in just a second about Mississippi State schedule. I feel like you know they broke up that murderers row state was going to have to go through on the first schedule in October where they were playing. I don't have the order. I think it was A and M, Alabama, LSU, Auburn, back to back to back to back. So they they sort of broke that up. I think your situation for playing Alabama is as good as it gets. You have a bye week, then you play Alabama, then you have Vandy right after that. Um, but it's a tough way to close the season. You know, obviously not having the Egg Bowl uh, at the end is weird. But uh, at Georgia, at Ole Miss, that'll be a tough stretch. For state, and then a question that was asked of me on Twitter: the state championship games for Mississippi high schools are supposed to be in Starkville the weekend of December the fifth, but now state has a home game there. So how is that going to work? Is that kind of like recruiting, where you, when you're talking about numbers and roster size, you go, hey, it's just going to work itself out? Well, I mean, you say that, but I just don't see how you're going to have. I mean, there, there are games scheduled for the fifth. No. They're not going to put. They're, they're going to have to reschedule those. You know? My it'll work itself out was more along the lines of it's going to be in Oxford. This what I first my first well, thought. Is that I mean, you may be onto something there, but I was yeah. thinking more along the lines of are we really going to get to state championship games in high school football in Mississippi? I hope so. We're still going to be playing another, SEC football. On another December media 5th. member rooting for football to collapse. Everybody, Richard Cross, Jeez Louie. How dare you? Yes, unbelievable. Yes. Duly, duly noted. <laughs> um, but it's a fair schedule for state. I feel like that's about as good as you could have hoped for. You know, playing LSU first—that's when you'd want to play them. Doesn't really matter when you play Alabama, but you got the bye week before, and you sort of got the bye week after. So it's it's, it's about as good as you can do. It's amazing how different the 
potential outcome of the schedule looks when you take those non-conference games away. Yeah. Because if you think State's a 5-5 five and five or even a 4-6 and six team with this schedule, you're probably saying on a regular schedule they would have been 8-4. and four. And been a really good team. Yeah, I don't think it's time for us necessarily to do predictions just yet. No. But to me, there's kind of a, a linchpin game, maybe two of them, for Mississippi State. And it's... I would say that those two are Kentucky and Ole Miss. And interestingly enough, for Ole Miss, I think the two that you circle are Kentucky and Mississippi State. See, when I look at Mississippi State's schedule, I go, okay, they're going to beat Arkansas, and I think they'll beat Vanderbilt, and I think they'll beat Missouri. All right, so that's three. And the difference in five and five and three and seven, or five and five and four and six, is they go figure out a way to beat Kentucky on the road. They go figure out a way to beat Ole Miss on the road. When I look at Ole Miss's schedule, those two games again, I go, I think Ole Miss is going to beat Arkansas. Think they're going to beat Vanderbilt. Think they're going to beat South Carolina. All right, what are they going to do with Kentucky? on the road it's a pretty good football team we've talked all offseason about this is a really good Kentucky football team what are they going to do with Mississippi State it's a home game you get both of those you get a chance to be 5-5 five and five. in this crazy year if you play all 10 games and somehow Ole Miss finishes 5-5 five and five, good grief throw a parade throw a parade build a statue whatever and extend the contract, lobby the government to been, let the four-year contracts go beyond four years. If you, had, you know, take off Kentucky, I guess I mean you would have been a seven and five team on the regular schedule. I, I don't. There's not an Ole Miss fan on this planet, at least a reasonable one, that wouldn't have taken seven and five oh, back running. in January. I mean, you would have been like, yes, absolutely. And it's the same with State. If State, if I think State would have been eight and four. I think well, and, almost every MSU fan would have taken that in, in year one of Leach. And, and hey, Dad, in those two scenarios, you're assuming a win over Baylor for Ole Miss and a win over NC State for Mississippi State. Would I, would I be assuming Baylor in that? For Ole Miss and, to get to seven and five? To go three and one and four and four? Uh, yeah, I see what you're saying. But they also added South Carolina. That's true. That's, yeah, you're right. You're right. So yeah, I mean, I, I think the more likely outcome would have been three and one, three and five, to get to six and six. In that other scenario, when you were looking at this schedule, were there any games that just like absolutely jumped off the page at you? You're like, oh, can't wait for that one. I mean, not so much a uh, just one game, but and, and I'm, I'm sure we'll all enjoy this. The weekend of November the 14th, you have Alabama at LSU. Mm-hmm. You have the Saints and the 49ers. Mm-hmm. And you have the Masters. Mm-hmm. I mean. What a weekend. What, what more can you want out of life at that point? I feel like State we and Ole Miss are both home, too, so we don't have to travel. We can all be at home doing those things. I feel like we've buried the lead a little bit, though. The Egg Bowl, it's just one week earlier, air quotes, in the season. And two uh, days same later. weekend, 
It's it's one week earlier and two days later. Imagine that. But it not being the final game of the season, it is the low-hanging fruit on the schedule, the thing that stands out. It, same with the Iron Bowl. Um, yeah. But I, if you're going to play that game the second to last weekend, same thing with the Iron Bowl, which is more important to the SEC office, obviously. Why is it one week earlier? I have no idea. What What is the rationale behind it? If they'd have put it week one, I get it, because, hey, we want this game to be played, and we're not sure we're getting to 10. So put it week one. Like, that would have made logistical sense. But The, the thought here is this. There is an open date on the schedule on December 12th. The SEC championship game is scheduled for December 19th. In the event that one of these rivalry games can't be played on the 28th, you could play it two weeks later in that open date. Is it also possible there's some marketing stuff in that? That rival, I can never say this, rivalry week no, has but, some marketing stuff and it was it was tied up in that particular date? I don't think so. Okay. Just, I think just it, crap I think my ideas, to, Richard. Yeah, no, 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 I'm not. I, I'm just, I, I think it had to do with if for some reason you can't play Alabama-Auburn on November 28th, there's an open date two weeks later for everybody. You can pick it up and you can play it two weeks later. If you can't play the Egg Bowl, you can play it two weeks later. I think that was the rationale. Sports Talk Mississippi, we'll be right back. David DeLucci will join us next. Tuesday afternoon with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Time to go back to the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. It's been a while since we've talked to uh, our good friend David DeLucci, who is a college baseball analyst with the SEC Network and ESPN and played for uh, over a decade, 14 years in the uh, big leagues with a bunch of different teams and um, a guy that has a lot of respect for the game of baseball. And so, David, we wanted to talk to you today about this whole unwritten rules thing. Uh, by the way, if you're listening and you didn't see the story last night, in the Padres-Rangers game, uh, Fernando Tatis Jr., who is a spectacular young player, hit a grand slam with the Padres up six or seven, whatever it was, late in the ball game on a 3-0 grooved fastball. And that brought out all of the unwritten rule guys, and, uh, and here we are. So, first of all, Luch, what's up, man? Oh, man, thanks for having me. It's been too long. We've, we've missed a lot of baseball, a lot of the summer, and uh, I'm happy. I, I appreciate you putting me on here today. Well, it's it's kind of you to spend a few minutes with us. So, so help us uh, out, fair or foul, first of all, just on this situation. Big lead, late in the ball ballgame, uh, 3-0, you, you guess fastball, you get a fastball, and you hammer it out of the ballpark. You got an issue with that? Yeah, I, um, you know, I'm a traditionalist. I'm old school baseball guy, uh, but I'm not a hundred percent, uh, in agreement with all of these quote unquote unwritten rules. And this is one that I've had an issue with my whole career. Uh, my question is, what is everyone angry about? Are they angry because he swung 3 0? Are they angry because of the score? Uh, that's what I would like to know. I do not like the fact that his manager, um, did not take his side and kind of threw him under the bus a little bit. And, uh, you know, the last couple of years, we've been going on this, this motto, let the kids play. And all of a sudden we let the kid play and then we want to revert back to old school rules. Come on, let's figure this thing out. Let's get on the same page here. 
Chris Woodward, the manager of the Angels or the uh, Rangers, rather, after the game, said, "I didn't like it personally. You're up by seven in the eighth inning. It's typically not a good time. Three zero. It's kind of the way we were all raised in the game. But the norms are being challenged. I mean, can't we all get on board with? Okay, we don't need to be throwing at guys' heads. Um, you know, maybe you don't have to do a dance at second base every time you, you, you get out there and you hit a double. But but this is fun. It's a grand slam and." I'm sorry that you grooved a fastball. Yeah. So here, here's the deal. There, there's. It was the second home run of the night, right? So th- this is this is what I'm looking at. If I'm a hitter, and and I, I I've been in this situation before, uh, and and we had a uh, classic game on when I was with the Arizona Diamondbacks about a month ago, where I hit a three run home run in the eighth inning. Actually, it was a closer game. We took the lead and ended up winning the game. I swung through a take. I did a very similar thing. The score wasn't out of uh, the way it was last night, but I caught some heat for it too. And and I don't understand uh, why someone thinks that if the hitter's sole purpose and his approach at the plate is to get a good pitch to hit, and he went up there and he took three balls, and so his eye is dialed in. He's seeing the ball really well. Why does he have to take a pitch to let the pitcher get back into this at-bat and possibly strike him out or hit a ground ball? Who in the world thinks it's okay for the hitter to stand up there and go, you know what, you made three bad pitches, you tried to throw two split fingers, 0-1-1-0, you missed both of them, and I'm supposed to let you come back and make this thing competitive. That's not the sole purpose of a batter going up there. He, he worked the count in his favor. He got a good pitch to hit. I don't care what part of the ball game it is. I don't care what the score is. If it would have been a base hit, we probably wouldn't have heard anything. But the young man hit a home run. He's got unbelievable power. He's a superstar in the game. Mm-hmm. Let's think about this. It was a home run. He is now leading the division in home runs. Every Major League Baseball player has incentives in their contract. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, he's going to get a monster bonus if he wins the home run title. So if he doesn't hit this ball and he falls one home run short, boy, that would have been sad that he's going to miss out on 100000 200000 or whatever the amount of money is. The other thing I look at is this at-bat early on in this series forced a pitching change. So if we go down this series and this thing gets tight, they had to use an extra, extra reliever because of Tatis's home run. If he takes that ball and he gets struck out or he hits a ground out, he sacrifices himself for the unwritten rule to give the opposing player a participation trophy to get back in the at-bat, it can totally change the complexity of that series. So there's a lot of small things in there. And, and yeah, we may have some new-age thoughts about baseball, but that doesn't change. You hit, it's a little bit of selfishness when you go to the plate. You're trying to win a game for your team. You're trying to do the best for your team, but you're trying to boost your average. It's a whole lot better to negotiate off of that grand slam than a, a, ground, a rolled over, ground out, or a strikeout if the pitcher gets back into the count. And, and in a fun little twist of fate today, in the top of the first inning, Will Myers hit a grand slam for San Diego. <laughs> How beautiful is that? Yeah. Uh, hey. Uh, look, Tatis's dad, who I played against for, for many years, hit two grand slams in the same inning. Are we saying that because he hit one grand slam 
in the first at bat. He shouldn't have swung the bat on the second grand slam. I mean, where do you draw the line on, on, on the unwritten rules? I get it. It was a 3-0 count. But why should the young man sacrifice himself and give up that good pitch to hit, which was left belt high? It was a pitcher's fault for leaving that ball right there. Don't take the bat out of the guy's hand. David, we talked about this before. David DeLucci on your radio, college baseball analyst with ESPN and the SEC Network, former big leaguer with a bunch of different teams, including a World Series championship with the Arizona Diamondbacks. I know you got a great deal of respect for the game. You, you mentioned a second ago you're a traditionalist. I, I understand that. But sometimes Major League Baseball has an image problem, and it needs to be fun, and it needs to appear fun. Is putting a runner on second base in the 10th inning of an extra inning game, because I've heard you say before, baseball is beautiful because it doesn't have a time. There's no clock. Is that fun, or is that crossing the line for you? Uh, it, 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 it's... You don't like it, do you? It's crossing the line for me. It, it's it, now. I get it. It's exciting, and we all got to come up with new game plans and how we're going to approach this. Uh, one thing that I do kind of like about it is it forces managers to play the game the way it was supposed to be: runner on second, nobody out. It's probably a good idea to bunt him over, which a lot of teams have not done. But it kind of gets us back to fundamental baseball. But look, it, it's I understand. We're losing viewers. Game is lasting too long. MLB should not change the complexity, should not change the fundamentals of the game. They should start playing the game a little bit earlier. They should make the times a little better for families to watch and uh, and, and don't totally change what the game is all about. I mean, it, it's uh, it's different, man. It, it, it's, it did not earn... Uh, the opportunity to get on. Now, why did we have to do it? Probably because there's a lot of swinging and missing going on in the game, and you could play 18 innings in today's day a whole lot uh, more probable than you could in the early 90s when guys tried to, to get on base, move him over, and get him in. So I don't like it. Uh, we'll see how it is at the end of the season. But we're making decisions about the fans, and we're making decisions about the time of game uh, instead of what, what – baseball is all about at its core hey one more thing i heard a rod mention this on sunday night baseball the other day talking about the shift and how you know you're constantly taking away base hits that have always been base hits and he said you know this might be something you could play with around with from a rule standpoint what if you said the infielders like your four infield positions first base second base shortstop third base had to have their spikes in the dirt when the pitch was released uh, what if you just had the hitters and taught them how to hit the ball the other way every once in a while? You didn't have to worry about the shift. <laughs> I watched uh, Gallo for the Rangers had a, a, a shift on, and all he had to do was hit a squibber or bunt the ball to anywhere on the left side, and he would have got a base hit, and he chose to swing away and hit a ground out to the right side. I mean, that's the other facet that the game has changed in that we don't take it serious enough to make adjustments. Guys are getting paid a ridiculous amount of money to swing and miss in the hopes that they hit a home run every once in a while. The game is played to put the ball in play. That's what makes it exciting. That's what makes things happen. And when you get runners on base and you can move them over and get them across, that's baseball. We're getting away from baseball, whether it's in extra innings, putting runners on base, or worried about the shift. You want to worry about the shift? Hit the ball the other way and everything will be all right. All right, last thing for you. You got your food plots ready? We got to get Obi a deer this this fall. It's hot, man. I I, uh, I go out there every once in a while and, and head back for the air conditioning. I, we got about 
I think the end of the week, the temperature is supposed to cool off. Uh, we're ready for dove season right now, and uh, uh, it should be good, man. Uh, we'll, we'll get the food plots in in September, and then it's game on. But I've been shooting my bow. I'm going to be ready when the cool front comes through. I like it. I like it. So good to catch up with you, David. It's been too long. We'll talk to you soon, my friend. Sounds great. Thanks for having me on. Keep up David DeLucci, college baseball analyst, SEC Network, ESPN, former big leaguer. Some interesting thoughts there. You don't have to do away with the shift. Just teach guys to hit the other way. You don't want a guy to hit a grand slam. Don't groove a fastball. And that's from a guy who is a uh, very much a tr- traditionalist. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll wrap up the 4 o'clock hour next with you. They are headed to the 11th inning in Houston. Colorado and Houston tied at one apiece. Bottom of the fifth, San Francisco Giants up 6-1 to one on the Los Angeles Angels. They'll blow it. (laughs) There's some confidence for you. Yankees finished off the sweep of the Red Sox last night. Now they host Tampa Bay. Get started at 6 o'clock on ESPN. Oakland is at Arizona. 5-10 Central start time for uh, that game. Cleveland at Pittsburgh. Washington is at Atlanta. Seattle's at the Dodgers. Mets in Miami. Phillies in Boston. Toronto's at Baltimore. Detroit is at the White Sox and Milwaukee is at uh, Minnesota Cubs and Cardinals again tonight, 7-15. That game is on FS1 if you are interested in watching it. NBA, earlier today, Orlando knocked off Milwaukee 122-110 in game one of that series as the playoffs continue. Had four games yesterday, four more today. Miami leading at 81-76 over Indiana. Should be a fun one at 5-30. OKC and Houston, and then Portland against the Lakers. Both of those games tonight coming up on uh, on TNT. Yeah, the First Bucks have seven been... years. Gosh. Say again. First time in seven years. Like the like the Lakers missed made the playoffs in 2012. At that point in their their franchise history, they'd only missed the playoffs five times ever, and now it's been a seven year drought. Cannot wait. Wait, the Lakers are back in the play. It's the first time in seven years they've been in the playoffs. It's been a dumpster yeah. fire, man. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. After twelve, after the uh, the Chris Paul trade fell through, yeah, been a been a long road back. Mm. By the way, mm-hmm. Toronto plus three hundred. You can still get it to win the Eastern Conference. Free money. You're welcome. You like that? Free money. The Bucks have been awful in the bubble. Awful. And it, today was just confirmation of what you already thought because it, it felt kind of like what the vibe you're getting from the Lakers, too, is they didn't really have much to play for, just kind of fooling around, not really taking the game seriously because they're going to be the one seed regardless. The Bucks played terrible in the seeding games, but they didn't relinquish their one seed. So you kind of dismissed it. Today was confirmation. There's something wrong. There's something wrong with Milwaukee. And I think Toronto, yes, they had Kawhi last year, and that's why they won the NBA Finals. But let's not pretend like they were not fantastic without him in all of his rest games last year, and they haven't been fantastic all season long without him. Nick Nurse is the most underrated coach in the NBA, even after just winning the Finals, if you can believe that. And they've got a bunch of veteran dudes that play good basketball together. Uh, Boston, now with Hayward out for at least, what, three, four weeks, uh, they weren't playing that great in the bubble themselves either. Philly's now banged up. I think Miami 
might be the best competition outside of the two that I've mentioned, but plus 300 with Toronto, that's free money. The Bucks have been awful. It's still a really good basketball team. You're welcome. Plus 300, free money, Toronto to win the East. And Miami's great value at plus 900 if you really want to, to gamble on this thing. Okay. Michael Borky with the financial tips. You're welcome. Put the mortgage on it. College football fix is just around the corner. That's what we will do to begin the 5 o'clock hour, as we do every single day. Um, kind of going back to the SEC football schedule, we've talked a good bit um, about that through the course of the afternoon. Do you, can, can you look at Arkansas' schedule and not feel bad for them? <laughs> yes, sir. Georgia, at State. At Auburn, Ole Miss, open date. At A&M, Tennessee, at Florida, LSU, at Missouri, Alabama. I'm sure you guys talked about it while I was out, the contentious meeting between SEC coaches Yeah, where some of them were not happy with their schedule. If it was not Sam Pittman, go ahead and fire him right now. Because look, if this, I were him, I'd be... This is not the year to complain about scheduling. No, but they're look, they're football but... coaches, though. It's still games that they've got to play. Like, they don't think the way a lot of other people do. This season's going to matter to them. I know the ultimate goal is to just play it. Save your athletic departments and your towns and your campuses. That's the goal here. But if you're going to make them line up and play somebody else, they're going to care. That's just how they're wired. If I were Sam Pittman, I'd be so mad. I mean, it's year one. You had all this stuff happen in the offseason where you couldn't even really work your team out. And now the SEC adds the two most difficult opponents they could add to your schedule (laughs) and goes to 10 teams only. I'd be furious if I were him. Speaking of financial advice from sportbetting.ag, over under win totals, Alabama 7.5. They can go 8-2 and and you can still win. So, bet that. That's it's smart. You can you can win. You can pay off some 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 loans that way. Hmm. They're just asking for it at that point. And Georgia's seven. So Georgia, again, eight and two, collects. So if Georgia loses to Alabama and Florida, but wins everything else, they still go they eight collect. and two, and you still yeah. win. Yeah. Winner. College Football Fix is next. Sports Talk Mississippi on this Tuesday. Rolling into the 5 o'clock hour with you. Sports Talk Mississippi on this Tuesday. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad, thanks for being with us. C Spire text line is open. 601-879-4395. Want more fast and less furious? Switch to C Spire Fiber and see what real internet looks like. No data caps, no long-term contracts, no cancellation fees. Don't settle for slow speeds, lousy reliability, and bad customer service from the other guys. With C Spire Fiber, you get gigabit speeds, over 99.99% reliability, and local 24-7 support, so nothing slows you down. See if C Spire Fiber is available in your area You can do that by going to cspire.com slash fiber. 
Thanks for being with us on this Tuesday afternoon. Time right now for the College Football Fix. Driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers, the Ford Summer Sales Event going on right now. Great savings on the full line of SUVs at your local Mississippi Ford dealer. Go buy Test Drive 1 today. Maybe the Explorer, maybe it's the Expedition, or maybe you want to get behind the wheel of an F-150, the best-selling truck in America for 43 straight years. Again, Test Drive at your local Mississippi Ford dealer. So, hey, Dad was giving you some uh, offshore totals just a moment ago. These are, I guess, offshore as well, but uh, by Bovada. Over under SEC win totals, courtesy of Bovada. Alabama, nine wins. That's more reasonable. Minus 110 if you want to take the over, minus 120 if you want to take the under. You go over or under nine, which basically says, do you think Alabama is going to be undefeated? Do you want to push? Or do you think they're going to lose two? They're going to go undefeated. They're not losing two, so at least you're going to push. Georgia, eight and a half is the total. LSU's total is eight. I might smash the under on that. The under just, on LSU? There's just so much new. And we talked about earlier that Mississippi State's getting LSU at the best time. That is absolutely true. You want to play LSU as early as possible. Get Miles Brennan's first or second start if you can. But it is a team that lost. All right, who, who are the three losses? Alabama, Florida. Slip up and get beat by A&M or Auburn. Okay. I mean, talent-wise, they're as good as anybody in the SEC. But people knock on Gus. I understand why, because they have underachieved relative to recruiting rankings, but Gus Malzahn can recruit. That is a roster that is filled with talent. And when it comes down to, if you're looking at the difference between LSU and Auburn, uh, talent-wise, not that much of a difference. And LSU, like we've talked about and we will continue to talk about forever, how new everything is there. They might as well... I mean, Ed Orgeron is still the head coach there. Everything else has changed. It's not a new offense, but new person calling the plays. New defense. New quarterback. Not as talented as the one that they just lost. New everything. So... New running back, a couple of big receivers to replace, etc. And they've had some guys opt out as well. I mean, a handful of them so yeah. far. Kerry Vincent we talked about yesterday... So, they're extremely talented. Did you course. realize that Auburn's replacing its entire offensive line? Yeah. Inexperienced group themselves, but Auburn does bring in talent that is comparable, maybe not as good, but comparable to that of LSU. Same thing with Florida. Different rosters. LSU brings in slightly more talent, but Mullen's last two recruiting classes, albeit with some attrition, were two top ten classes. LSU is going to play teams that can match up with them talent for talent, that have more experience, and have had systems and coaches that are in place and have been in place. LSU is basically starting over. Total for Florida is 7.5, and and that's an interesting number to me. You you look at Florida's schedule, they open with Ole Miss, they get South Carolina at home, they go to A&M, and that's certainly one that you circle. 
In fact, at A&M and then home against LSU in consecutive weeks before playing Missouri and getting to the open date, then on the back half of the schedule, Georgia in Jacksonville, Arkansas, Vandy, Kentucky, and then Tennessee on the road to finish it out. Nice break on the back end. Yeah, it, it certainly is is an easier back half of the schedule. I know you guys did mention it yesterday, but do those four players, four projected starters, three of which on offense, <clears throat> that missed practice yesterday, do they actually opt out? One of the players, you see, this is what's so funny about college football players, is one of them tweeted, don't believe what you read. Well, all that you've read about this player in particular is that he missed practice, and that's confirmed. He was not at practice, so... What are we not supposed to believe? Yeah. Uh, But four guys did not practice. Okay. Two of which have mentioned that it's because they're concerned about COVID. The other two have not given a reason. Do those guys not play? If so, that should change, especially since three of them are wide receivers. Might change the way you look at Florida a little bit. Hey, Dad, what are you doing with Auburn at seven? Well, to have seven wins, they would have to have fewer, three or fewer losses. And as we have said many times before, Gus Malzahn is a four-loss coach, so we're going under. Georgia? LSU? Alabama? Uh, A&M? Alabama, I would go. I wouldn't be happy about picking a team to go undefeated, but I, I would think they're going over. I would say no, Georgia no, no, goes no, over. No, 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 no. I was, I was talking about the oh, losses for Auburn. Those four that I mentioned? They'll lose to Alabama. They'll lose to Georgia. Um... They'll they'll lose to LSU, and then I, between A and M and Kentucky, they'll lose one more. We'll be totally surprised if Auburn starts the year off zero and two. Hmm. Auburn opens with Kentucky, and they get Georgia in week two. Mm-hmm. This one's interesting to me. I know it's only a ten game schedule, but Texas A and M at six. A lot of people saying put up or shut up time for A&M. They start with Vandy, then they've got Alabama, then they've got Florida. Then it feels like they've got a chance, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm not giving A&M the win against Mississippi State in Starkville, but it feels like the, there's a chance to really go on a run for A&M. Mississippi State, open date, Arkansas, South Carolina, Tennessee, Ole Miss, before closing things out with LSU and Auburn. They should be favored in all of those games between Florida and LSU. Agreed. But I, I guess the question becomes, I mean, at, at, at six, you, you could say they lose to Alabama, Florida, LSU, and Auburn, and you still get a push on that bet. It does seem low. <clears throat> it- you want to talk about the difference in scheduling, how Arkansas should be mad. Look at what Texas A&M was supposed to start the season with if it were to have gone uninterrupted as opposed to what they've got in the 10-game schedule. Yeah. They were going to breeze to like 7 or 8 and 0. And now, hey, Alabama. Kentucky at 4.5. Feels like an easy win, doesn't it? Feels it, like an it easy does. Win. What am I missing on, on Kentucky? Like, like I mean, there, there's something there that I'm not seeing because, you know, we, we were talking yesterday about the guy from Action Network 
putting the line for Ole Miss Kentucky in week two in Lexington at Pickham. And now you've got Bovada setting the total for Kentucky at four and a half. You think it's just the name? Maybe. Yeah, that's that's the only thing that makes sense. Tennessee at four. If you look at Kentucky, though, Mark Stoops has only won more conference games than he's lost one time since he's been at Kentucky. And that was yeah, the 10-win team. Yeah, it's been a slow build, though, right? Right. Yeah. But it was they were three and five in the league a year ago. Yes, I know they had a wide receiver at quarterback, but still, like that. If if this is what Kentucky's going to be, a solid eight win team every year, that means they're losing five, sometimes four conference games. So if you look at Kentucky in terms of that and what they've added to their schedule, what has been a good Kentucky program under Stoops is five hundred in the SEC. In a good Tennessee, year. Tennessee's total is set at four. They play the three worst teams in the East and the worst team in the West going in. They've got South Carolina, Missouri, Vanderbilt, and Arkansas on the schedule. I mean, does Tennessee pick off one more somewhere along the way? They should. Those other six are tough now. I mean, it's Georgia and Kentucky and Alabama and Auburn and Texas A&M and Florida. You'd think maybe they would get one of them. Totals for Ole Miss and Mississippi State. Ooh, way down there at the bottom. Way down there at the bottom. Ole Miss at three and a half. South Carolina, three and a half. Missouri, three. Where was Mississippi State? Were they at four? Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll be right back. Orky, you went back and double-checked, and the total for Mississippi State is... Yeah, left off the bottom three. So Vanderbilt's one and a half. Arkansas is two. Mississippi State, two and a half over under. Hey, Dad, what's shaking there? You know, you got that, and then I saw uh, 24-7 did a thing today where they had uh, all their guys... All the CBS sports guys doing their predictions. Everybody had state six in the West consensus, including Barton Simmons, who had state going one and nine, beating only Vanderbilt. So, not quite sure what, what the thought process is there. It is entirely be. possible with this 10 game schedule and with what COVID has done to the preparations for this 10 game schedule and the personnel that both Ole Miss and Mississippi State struggle to win games. I mean, it's entirely possible that Vanderbilt and Arkansas are the only wins for both programs this season. Like that is that is a real possibility that I think people listening need to come to grip come to grips with. This offseason has been brutal for new coaches on top of your at least 3 walkover wins have been taken away from you. It's entirely possible that both Ole Miss and Mississippi State really struggle. Like 3 and 7 struggle. That is a reality that is facing both of these teams if the season gets played as scheduled. Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree that that's possible, but I don't think that's likely either. I would pick three wins for both teams before I would pick five. Mississippi State's about to run an air raid offense with a bad wide receiver core. 
Ole Miss is about to try to play defense against 10 SEC teams with that personnel. It is very possible that they're not very good. It's year one. I mean, that was the conversation going into it is it's going to take some time for both coaches to produce winning products. The rosters are not set up right now for a 10-game SEC schedule. Yes, there's a possibility that they win games. I mean, KJ Costello showed you in the Pac-12, dude can play. Mississippi State's got an elite-level running back. They have produced well on defense, although it's going to be some young and inexperienced guys. Ole Miss has offensive personnel that is really good. We'll see what they do at quarterback. Running back room is probably the best they've had since Deuce McAllister. Good crop of receivers led by a guy that's proven in a bad offense that he can be a good SEC receiver. But defensively, Ole Miss's defensive line is thin at best, and their best defensive player may not be available for them. The secondary got absolutely torched by anybody with a pulse last year, and all of those guys are back. They could be better. You would anticipate the scheme would be better. Personnel is still the same. And now there's no more walkover games, save Vanderbilt and Arkansas. Every win after Vanderbilt and Arkansas should be celebrated. <laughs> it's different because of everything that's happened. The new coaches are going to have a harder time than the established coaches because of COVID and what has happened. Expecting a 500 football team in a 10-game SEC schedule in year one of your new coach is an unrealistic expectation. If it happens, great. But to expect it, you're setting yourself up for potential failure here if they get to play all 10 games anyway. There's another one rooting for the end of football season. I, Both of you I'm not. I, man, I, I want it to happen so bad. I'm looking forward to it. I just I don't think it's fair on your coaches. If Mike Leach doesn't go 5-5, five and five, if somebody out there thought that it was a 5-5 five and five football team and he doesn't, people are going to be upset. No, it doesn't well, mean anything. And I said earlier, if Ole Miss gets to 5-5 five and five with this schedule, then you know throw a parade. I mean, that yeah. means just based on kind of just taking a glance at it and doing the whole win-loss, win-loss, win-loss thing. For Ole Miss to get to 5-5, five and five, that means they probably won at Kentucky, beat Arkansas, beat Vanderbilt, beat South Carolina at home, and beat Mississippi State. That'd be a pretty darn good season. If Mississippi State gets to 5-5, five and five, that means they beat Arkansas. They probably beat Kentucky on the road. They beat Vanderbilt at home. They beat Missouri, and they beat Ole Miss. Roster and personnel-wise, entirely possible. But don't forget. But everything's got to go right for those things to happen. Absolutely. They have to go perfectly. In a year where... And when it comes to Arkansas and Missouri, you get a break because they're in the same boat. But in a year where you were installing offenses through Zoom. I mean, how much can you get done on Zoom? Hey, I got a question for you guys. Uh, the Department of Archives and History has put the five finalists up for the flags. What What do you like? You've got the uh, the Great River flag, which is the the crest on the Navy background. You have the flag that highlights Louisiana, Arkansas when it uh, flies one direction, and highlights Alabama if it's flying backwards. In addition to the fact that it's got the magnolia with the stars circled around it. You've got a magnolia in a white field with red on the right side and navy on the left side, and both of those are set off by a gold strip. 
You've got the navy middle with magnolia in the middle. You've got a white magnolia surrounded by stars within God We Trust at the bottom on a navy field with red on the outside in both directions, and it's set off by gold. And then you've got kind of a royal blue magnolia tree with the star circle around it with the gold star at the top. What do you guys like? Hey, Dad knows what number five looks like. <laughs> I'm going to go with, with number one, though. The, uh, I'm, the Great River flag is the one I've, I've sold myself on. Okay. What does number five look like, Borky? Uh, the Tree of Gondor from Lord yeah. of the Rings. Oh. Yeah, it does. <laughs> like how Richard said, oh, like he's seen those movies yeah. or knows anything about No, it. I haven't. I saw somebody reference that earlier It's exactly today. what it looks like. But it if you're doing power rankings, I think two and five can be thrown out. I, if those are the state flags, I'll be severely disappointed. Three and four are fine. You know, good designs, they're fine. Magnolia state, magnolia flower on the flag, good enough. And one, I think, is the most flexible and usable and that would be my pick if I had the choice. To me, two, the the one where there's kind of the outline of the state on like the left third of the flag, and it's red off to the left of that, and then yeah. blue to the right, is just a disaster. Because when the flag flies the other way, you're Alabama. Yes. This, this doesn't work. Yes. Um, Somebody said it looks like Bart Simpson's face. And now I can't really unsee that either. Don't have a cow, man. <laughs> Yeah, I um, for some weird reason, Borky, I don't hate the um, the magnolia tree, the the gondor tree, or whatever it is you called it. I, I lean in the direction of the Great River flag. I just think there's so much you can do with that from a branding standpoint, especially over the course of time. But I've heard people say, "Well, it looks like Captain America," or "It looks like the Union Pacific Railroads." I mean, it it's a crest, but. It's something you can build around and looks really, really good on a lot of different stuff, including a flagpole. So they got to uh, decide by September 2nd, so a couple of weeks, to uh, hand that off to the uh, the governor and the uh, speaker and lieutenant governor. Then it'll go on the ballot. 50% plus one to get one of these approved. So we'll see. We will uh, we'll see. You think Great River is going to have enough momentum to be able to... It, one, is that the one that will be picked? And if it is picked, will it get 50% plus one? Because you only get one shot. If it doesn't get it, it's back to the drawing board. And in the next election cycle, you put another one up there. I'm afraid that whichever one gets picked, no matter what it is, the first go-round is going to get a no. Because you are going to have the people that are upset that the old flag is gone, so they will automatically vote no. And you're also going to have people that prefer their idea or the one they liked more and will also vote no. Jason says, flag? They're not the old one. That's something. It's enough. Mike says, the last one looks more like a palmetto than a magnolia. Somebody said, please don't get everybody started on the flag. Yeah, that's fine. This is different, though. This is more acknowledging choices, not yeah. the other conversation. 
Ceasefire text line is open, 601-879-4395. If you want to be a part of the conversation, we would love to hear from you this afternoon, as a bunch of you have uh, have already done throughout the uh, the show today. So we've got Alabama going 20% stadium capacity, LSU going 30% stadium capacity. I, I'm sorry, not LSU. LSU has not made an announcement yet. Texas A&M going 30% stadium, stadium capacity, but withholding the right to adjust up or down. Tennessee announces 25% stadium capacity. Are those the only three in the SEC that have announced? To my knowledge, yes. North Carolina's gone to all online classes. Notre Dame's going to online classes for at least the next two weeks. And Michigan has told anyone who has not already moved into their residence hall, don't bother, just stay home and continue learning online. Shockingly, there have been spikes in COVID cases when college students have gone back. It's kind of always going to happen. One more thought on that when we come back. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll be right back. All right, you guys have got to help me out on something. So as we see the... Um, as we see schools that are having to press pause on bringing students back or they're going to online learning or, or whatnot, and I know I'm painting with a broad brush, but a lot of blue check mark people are coming out saying, oh, it was a terrible idea. Oh, all you cared about was money, et cetera, et cetera. And they're drawing parallels between football and education, football and school. It's just like everybody's mad about everything. So here's my question. <clears throat> Excuse me, for all the people that are like, well, this was a terrible idea from the beginning. The schools just wanted to, they just wanted to get those tuition checks. What exactly would you have had the schools do? Would you have said, you know what? We're only going to do online learning, period. And because you're not getting the on-campus experience, let, let, let's charge 50% less. And your immediate reaction to that might be, woohoo, yeah, let's do that. That's a great idea. Well, did you think about the consequences of that? Okay, if you're only getting 50% of the revenue through tuition, fees, and all of those things. How many people are you going to have to lay off? How many professors are going to lose their jobs? How many staff members are going to lose their jobs? And when I say staff members, I'm not just talking about like custodial staff or dining hall staff. I'm talking about everything. I'm talking about the landscaping crew. How many of those guys are going to lose their jobs? The um, the the stadium maintenance people. I'm making it sports related, but it just I mean the maintenance people. Not any, not coaches. I mean, how many of those people are going to lose their jobs? How many of your non-tenured professors who are making somewhere between forty and sixty-five thousand dollars a year are going to be laid off? Not because you couldn't have them teach online, but because you can't afford to pay them. How many of your fundraisers who can't raise money because school's not going to happen are you going to have to lay off? So people are like, 
oh, you've got all these sports writers cheering for college football not to happen. I don't really think there are that many people that are cheering, but there are a whole bunch of of I told you sowers out there. I told you so. I told you this was how it was going to be. And and forgive us for mistaking I told you so for you taking a victory lap and cheering for stuff to get shut down. And guess what else? You want the trickle-down effect? Let's not bring any students back to campus. Oh, okay. So let's hurt the real estate markets in hundreds of college towns all over the country. So property values go down. It puts people in a tough spot, some of them, in their houses, and you hurt real estate agents who are making a living that way. And the people that own restaurants and the people that own bars. And by the way, just because you own a bar does not make you a terrible person. I mean, the, 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 the people that are shaming bar owners and bars are about the same class of people that are like, well, it's all college students' fault. Just, just get off it. It's, it's an entrepreneur thing. It's a business owner thing. You have fewer people going to churches because you have fewer people there. You have pharmacies. If you live in a college town that's got 15 pharmacies, are all 15 of them going to su- survive? If 20,000 people in the population don't show up? What about boutiques? What about flower stores? Veterinarians. Okay, yeah. A lot, a lot of college students have animals. In my four years of school, I had three roommates with dogs. They so, went so, to local vets. So, so when you're doing the I told you so thing, what's your end game? Do you just want to see the economy crumble and collapse? Is that based on a hatred for the president? Is it based on you, you, you like you enjoy misery? Because you can't wait to say, I told you so. I told you this was going to happen if you went back. Well, yes. Yes. When large groups of people go back to a single place, we're going to have outbreaks. That means we have to shut the whole system down, though. Right. I, I kind of like what Father Jenkins is doing at Notre Dame. He said, we had 80 out of 416 positives. We're not sending everybody home yet. We're going to take two weeks. We're asking you to be really, really smart for two weeks so we can try and get a handle on this thing, not have it spin out of control where we go from 80 positives to 800 positives. Let's just, just tap the brakes. Man, I, I, I tell you what, I... I applaud the leadership of Tate Reeves. I don't agree with a lot that Tate Reeves does. Not my favorite politician. But he's had to make some hard choices. And he seems to be doing them in the name of what's best for Mississippi. And I applaud Dr. Rodney Bennett at Southern Miss, Dr. Mark Keenum at Mississippi State, Dr. Glenn Boyce at Ole Miss and our other university presidents who are saying we're going to get back to it. And I don't think anybody has any idea how much work has gone in the last five months to try and get to this point where classes can start like they did at Mississippi State yesterday and like they're going to do at Ole Miss on Monday. And I know the majority of the classes are online, and I know it's a different type deal. But everybody's just doing the best they can. If you own a business in one of these places right now, all you, 
It's not about making lots of money and big profits. It's hanging on for dear life. And if you want to tie this to sports, this is why the football thing matters so much. Oh, you're exploiting athletes. Stop. It's not about exploitation of athletes. It's about the entire system working together. Like our entire economic system in college towns. It's all tied together. It's not just football. It's football and basketball and baseball. It's students. It's Rush. It's faculty members being engaged in their local community and making good. It all works together. And if you just take one of the legs and just chop it off, the whole thing kind of comes tumbling down. So, I, look, I mean, I, that's kind of off on a tangent a little bit. That was a lot of words to basically say thank you to all the people who are working really hard and making difficult decisions in an unprecedented time in our country's history to just try and help us hang on for dear life and make it another day or two and make it another week or two and then it's another month or two and at some point, whether it's from saliva tests or the paper tests that we heard about yesterday or things trending in the right direction, at some point, we start to get back to, I'm afraid to even say normal, but something that feels more like normal, where people aren't wondering, am I going to be able to, am I going to lose my business? Are the numbers ever going to come back? How much debt should I take on to try and stay in a house or stay in a job or stay in a business or, or whatever? It's a hard time right now. I'm just weary of the people that are like cheerleaders for I told you so. But I mean, hey, if that makes you feel better, good for you. Good for you. To answer your original question, what what's driving them? I, it, in part, it is political. Pat Forty wrote a column that tells you where it, he's coming from. and But on top of that, I think what you're seeing, especially in sports, with these sports people that are doing the I told you so on how campuses should have never opened, I got a journalism degree. Ole Miss is not Northwestern and not Syracuse and not Missouri, and that may stop me from getting jobs in the future. However, I know that something that is not taught in journalism school is economics. Political science, outside of the base-level political science classes, which is really full of information that you already should know. That's, I think, part of the problem, is these people that have these platforms that pretend like they're smarter than you, and that can apply to me as well. It, just because somebody has a platform does not, not mean they are smart. Just because a sports writer writes for a big publication does not mean they know everything or anything at all. I think in part, they simply don't know or don't have a real understanding of the economic impact of colleges in operation. And because of that, they call for them all to shut down in the name of student safety because they never learned basic economics. Because I have a journalism degree. If I didn't choose to take high-level economics electives to get that degree, I would have never been taught it. 
because I didn't have to learn it. And neither do these people. Part of it, I think, is ignorance. They're just simply unaware, willful or otherwise, what happens when these things don't happen. I think they just simply don't know or don't want to know. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. We'll be Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.